who is also the Almighty Creator. And in connection with that, let's open God's Word to the Old Testament, to the first of the minor prophets, Hosea. So, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea in your Bible, and then chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, and we'll read together the first nine verses. Let us hear the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Let's now turn in the Catechism to Lord's Day 9. You'll find that on page 525 in the back of the Book of Praise. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence is, for the sake of Christ his Son, 
my God, and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is clear that one of the key words, maybe even the key word in this Lord's Day is Father. May I ask you, from the beginning of the sermon this afternoon, to think about that word and what it brings to your mind and what it brings to your heart. Of course, we are speaking about our Heavenly Father here, but when we hear that word Father, we're usually drawn first in our mind to our earthly Father, the man that we call Dad. And whether you're living at home with your father, your dad, right now, or you've moved out and your dad is elsewhere, whether your dad is still with us or whether your dad has been taken up into glory. We're all at different stages of life. But I ask you, think for a moment about that man, that man that you call dad. What comes to your mind? What do you think about his actions? What he does or what he did personally for you? We may think, well, he, he cares or he cared for me. He provides or provided for me, made sure that there was a house, a roof over my head, food on the table, clothes on my body. He protected me, still maybe does protect me in a certain way. He advises, he guides. But you might have other thoughts as well. When you hear Father, Dad, you may think about certain times that he, well, he kind of ignored you, especially when you needed him. Or he did something or he said something that hurts. We all have different experiences with our fathers. And if we go a little bit deeper now beyond the actions and, and we go to the heart, and if we ask this question, when we hear that word Father, 
what is one of the, the main emotions, one of the main feelings within our heart? Is it, brothers and sisters, a sense of security? Whatever was happening, I knew my father, my dad would be there for me as much as he could, of course. Or is it a sense of unsettledness? Because there were certain things, maybe still are, between you, your father, and you. You see, brothers and sisters, as soon as we hear that word, Father, there may come a whole range, a whole collection of thoughts and feelings. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Some of them giving a deep sense of joy and respect and security and others not so much. And that's why Maybe, brothers and sisters, the next key word in this Lord's Day, the word that we should pay most attention to beside Father is the one that we might most easily gloss over, believe. The question is not, in the first place, what do you think about God the Father, the Heavenly Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. The question is not in the first place, what do you feel about this Heavenly Father? Of course, our thoughts, of course, our emotions are part of it. Please, do not misunderstand that. But the question is, what do you believe? Going back to Lord's Day 7, what do we confess with sure knowledge on the basis of the Word of God concerning our Heavenly Father. And that's so important. Because when we start to confess on the basis of God's Word who this Father is, what He does for us, how He also in Christ has us on His holy, paternal heart, then we will see that maybe some of the impressions, maybe some of the ideas that we take along from our earthly father don't necessarily apply to our heavenly father. And so with this in mind, focusing on that word belief, based on the word of God, we go forward this afternoon with this confession from the Lord's Day, from the Bible passages that we will connect to it. The father of Christ is my father. And we'll look first of all at how he is the eternal Father, which no earthly father ever is. That he is the almighty creator, which no earthly father ever was, is, or will be. And finally, is the faithful Father. Brothers and sisters, there's something very intriguing about this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 9, and it's intriguing based on the Apostles' Creed, which the Catechism is going through, it's the same intriguing thing in both the Apostles' Creed and the Catechism, and that is that it puts Father before Creator. Look at what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and then following up from that, Creator of heaven and earth. And then the catechism, working with that, keeps the same order. 
Look at the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then who out of nothing created heaven and earth. It's not the other way around. It's not, I believe in the creator of heaven and earth, who is also Father Almighty. Now, why is that so intriguing? Because the Catechism, and the Apostles' Creed for that matter, summarizes Scripture, and it would seem that Scripture has a different order. If you just open up your Bible and you start reading in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, what is the first thing that the Lord reveals to us? Obviously, He's the Creator. Out of nothing, six days, He created this, He created that. He said, let there be, let there be, and so it was, one day after the other. But when is the first time in the Bible that you hear God explicitly called the Father, the Father of His people? You would have to read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. This is an occasion. There are other occasions which maybe kind of have it underneath and implied. But this is one of the very first occasions that we hear it's explicitly said. Do you thus, people of God, repay the Lord in this way, you foolish, you senseless people? Is he not your Father who created you, who made you, who established you? And then it builds throughout the Scriptures. You hear about God as Father in the Psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 68, Psalm 89, the father of David. You hear about God as father to his people in Jeremiah. It's there in Malachi. And once you turn over into the New Testament, the occurrences just become more and more frequent. So clearly the Bible reveals God as our father. But you would say first as the creator. And why then does the Apostles' Creed. Why then does the Catechism seem to turn the two around? Well, it is with good reason. And it certainly, brothers and sisters, is not to ignore what's revealed, but rather to take what is revealed and bring it home to us in a very powerful and beautiful way. I do not know whether your own pastor, Reverend Hopefleur, anticipated this, but the call to worship that he read is actually the passage which gives the answer to what we are exploring here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world, before creation, before there was heavens, before there was earth, before there was light, already then, in eternity past, God was Father, always is Father, always will be Father, not in the first place of you and of me, but of his eternal, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And this is exactly 
what our catechism is bringing forth from the Scriptures, from Ephesians chapter 1, that before you and I existed, before our first parent, our first father, our first mother, Adam and Eve, existed, long before that, often eternity, the eternal Father of the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, existed as Father. And that's why we now confess him as, notice the catechism, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is so encouraging. Why? Because our adoption as children of God is not based in us. It's not even based, brothers and sisters, ultimately in biology. At the seminary, we would say, we'd use this word, we would say it's based in Christology. It's based in who Christ is. It's based in the fact that there is an eternal Son of God who is our mediator and deliverer. Our whole beautiful, that, that, that relationship that we treasure so deeply, that we are children of God, that's based entirely in Christ. You notice how carefully the Catechism crafts this, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then quite a number of words and phrases describing him as the creator, describing him as the God of providence, but then is, and we immediately want to leap ahead, don't we? And we want to say, this eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is my God, and he's my Father. But the Catechism says, wait, To wait one phrase for the sake of Christ his Son. Without him, we are not children of God. He is not our Father. We may not say Abba. But with him, we may. And we may steadfastly. You see, brothers and sisters, in addition to Father, and believe, two more key terms in this Lord's Day are trust and turn. For when in Christ we rejoice in the gracious truth that this God is our Father, yes, for the sake of Christ, is my Father, then immediately it goes to our response. In him, I trust, but no small trust either. In him, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that's quite a trust, isn't it? It's one thing to say, I trust, but to say, I trust so completely as to have no doubt whatsoever who is equal to a trust like that? 
And what is the trust about? It's in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary and maybe that's not the hardest one. Because look, we have, we have food in our cupboards and on our tables and we've got clothes on our bodies and we have the proclamation of the word and we have the sacrament, but what about this? He will, I don't have any doubt in my mind, he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. You know, when, when the young people, the teenagers, are in the catechism class and they memorize these words and then, then they recite them to the minister or the elder or whoever's teaching them, it's beautiful to hear those words, but when you stand there at the front of the class, you can't help but wonder. And these young people in the church, what adversities will they face in their life? And how will they come to trust so completely that whatever hardship, whatever challenge the Lord puts on their path, he is absolutely going to turn it to their good. It's a huge statement. And it's not only the teenagers that struggle with it. Everyone does. Can we truly say this? Brothers and sisters, let's turn to Hebrews chapter, sorry, Hosea chapter 11, for there God himself gives us the answer. Hosea chapter 11 is one of those chapters tucked inside a minor prophet. Sometimes the minor prophets are not the most popular reading out of Scripture, but what we miss if we don't read it. Hosea chapter 11 begins in this way, the Lord speaking so clearly as the Father. He says, when Israel was a child, and not just a child, next part of the verse, out of Egypt I called my son. So this child is my son, says God Almighty. And I loved him as a father loves his very own son. So that, you, as, as those thousands upon thousands of people, the Israelites, were brought out of Egypt as they came into the wilderness. You see all their tents there in the wilderness. The Lord looks down out of the cloud of glory when he looks down from his heavenly throne and he sees all those tents with all those dads and all those mums and all those children in there. He looks at them all together and he says, that's my son. And I love him. And he brought them, that's verse 2, he brought them into the promised land where they had a home. But guess what happened? No sooner does he bring them to that beautiful home, and they not once but twice, they kept on sacrificing to the Baals. Baal is the husband god of the Canaanites. Baal is the pagan father god 
So it's not only that they run off after other gods. Really what they are saying as they go into these pagan worship services is, we'd rather have Baal as our father than you, the father who took us out of Egypt. It's one thing, brothers and sisters, when your own child does something wrong, when you give them an instruction, you give them a command, and they don't do what you've told them to do. That's hard enough. But when they reject you and say, I'd rather have that man as my dad, words do not express. That's what they did to our Lord, the Most High. And it wasn't because he had mistreated them in any way. Verse 3 and verse 4, he led them all the way through the wilderness. When they were broken down, he lifted them up. When they needed food, he fed them. When they needed bands of love and cords of kindness, he was right there. He gave them the manna. He gave them the quail. He gave them the protection from the sun. He gave them the warmth at night. He gave them everything they needed. And still they came in the promised land. They said, I'd rather have Baal. And so the Father loves them enough to punish them. He doesn't send them back to Egypt, but he does say, you will have to go off to exile and Assyria will be your king. And it will be hard. And the sword will rage and the bars of the gates will be broken. It's going to be very hard on his son. But a father is still a father and a son is still a son. Do you notice that verse 7? In the midst of the punishment, in the midst of the exile, my people, not that people, my people. Even though they are bent on turning away from me, even though they want the bales, that's still my people. That's still my son. Do you hear the father heart of God in spite of the rebellion? How can the Father still speak like this? For the sake of Christ, his Son, who would come for the full forgiveness of his people. And if anyone ever doubted the tenderness, the warmth of God, if anyone ever doubted that God truly is an eternal Father, not just some distant, powerful, but cold and uncaring deity. That's not God. That's not our God. Listen to this, brothers and sisters, verse 8. This is the voice of the Most High. He says, how can I do it? How can I just give you up and over, O Ephraim? How can I just hand you over, O Israel? How could I make you like Adma? How could I treat you like Zebaim? Those are two little villages beside Sodom and Gomorrah. The Father Almighty says, I can't treat you like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
those pagan cities and villages? You're my people. You're my covenant people. You're my son. And that's why his Abba heart, his father heart, recoils within him. His compassion grows warm, even in the midst of the discipline, even in the midst of the punishment which had to come. But the father heart never stopped beating. My compassion grows warm. It grows tender. And this, brothers and sisters, is not just the God, the Father of Israel. For the sake of Christ, his Son, we say, this is my God. And this is my Father. Oh, how I myself have disappointed disobeyed, and who knows how many times went that way when the Lord was calling me this way. And I might think, reflecting on that, that at a certain point God just says, that's enough. Now I've had it. Oh, he may punish, he may discipline, the exile, it's right there in this chapter. But even when he disciplines us, even when he punishes us, even when he puts us through adversities that bring us to the point of breaking, for the sake of Christ, the immovable, unshakable Redeemer, he is my God and he is my Father. And I trust him that he will turn all of this hardship to my benefit, to my good. Not just because he's willing to do so, because he has that Abba heart, but because he has every power that's necessary to do it. You see, that's what's so different. God is God. Verse 9, he's not a man. He's the Holy One. He is so distinct from our earthly dads. Our earthly dads, they just come so far. They can only fix so much. They can only give so much. They only have so much strength. They only have so much time. They're just finite, and they run into their limits. But the Heavenly Father, the Holy One, it's different. He can turn. Sometimes it's pretty hard to see that when you're in the midst of an adversity or life of sorrow. It's actually connected to what we'll sing Psalm 84 in just a few moments about the Baca Valley. That's, that's the valley of hardship. That's the valley of tears, the Baca Valley. Well, when you're right at the bottom of your own Baca Valley, you may look around the way you think, the way that you feel, and you say, really, there's nothing here. You know, people can come and they can say all kinds of nice things, but there's no hope here. 
That's what we might think. That's what we might feel. But remember that key word, believe. On the basis of the Word of God, we believe that my Father is the Almighty Creator who, in the beginning, when there was nothing, we say, in my situation, in my back of valley, there's nothing here. There's nothing good. That's what it might look like. But remember, in the beginning, there was literally nothing. And it wasn't good until this God, our Father, started to speak. And one by one, the nothing was filled with something and something and something. The light and the waters, and the earth, and the trees, and the animals, and the birds, and the human beings. And one by one by one, it was good, 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 and even very good. It's the same Father. That's how we can trust. Based on the Word of God, we say, no, I trust without a doubt because I know that my Father is Almighty Creator. He did it then. He couldn't do it now. And if we still sometimes have our doubts, then let's look to Christ on the cross. There, the Father took six hours of his son's suffering. Three of those, the hours of darkness, which were nothing short of hellish, and he took hellish agony of one man who is also God, Jesus Christ. And he turned that, he transformed that into eternal blessing for all of his chosen ones, however many the Lord has elected. But he took three hours of hellish agony and he transformed that into eternity of blessedness. And that's, for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Father and my Father. We can trust Him. He can do it. He's shown us that at creation and at the cross. And you can understandably and rightly still ask, yes, but what about now? Psalm 84 goes from the back of valley, that valley of tears and struggle and, and, and barrenness, and it does come to the final city of blessing, what we confess now to be the new Jerusalem. There is a movement there from down the valley of Jerusalem up to the mountain, the Zion, of blessing forevermore. But we're not there yet. And what about when we're still down here in the back of valley? Oh, yes, the Creator, He can turn things around. He can transform them and one day bring me there, bring us all there. But what about when we're still here? That's the faithfulness of our Father 
in heaven. Whether still down here or here or here or one day there where blessedness will not be disturbed anymore. He is the eternal, unchanging Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Holy One. He's different. When a man becomes a father, he's on a whole new chapter, a whole new journey in his life. And he's going to have to figure things out. What does this mean to be a father? And he's going to make mistakes. And even when he may have many years, he'll say, I don't know if I'm always getting better at this. Sometimes maybe I was more faithful, more devoted when the children were younger. But with an earthly father, there's all kinds of ups and downs. There's all kinds of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. But that's not the Holy One. We believe him, call to worship, Ephesians chapter 1. We believe him to be the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal is not up and down. And therefore, even if we are in the down, even if we are in the valley, he is not down. He is eternally above And so whatever the life of sorrow may bring, with its here or there, with its a little higher or a little lower, we may, for the sake of Christ, confess with assurance that precisely because he is Holy One, he is here, caring, providing, protecting, guiding, Me, us, even when we have stepped to the lowest point in the back of valley. He is near. He is here. Amen.